At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. God created us for community, and with community comes conflict. It seems ever-present in our day-to-day lives, from little things to big things. In today's society, cancel culture is prevalent, and when there's conflict in our lives, it can be easy to turn to the ways of canceling one another. Knowing how to resolve conflict lovingly is an essential component of our lives. When we resolve conflicts out of love, we honor Christ. Join us in our new series, Conflicted, Pursuing Peace in a Cancel Culture, where we'll turn to the Gospel of Matthew to see what Jesus has to say about handling conflict. Well, good morning. It is good to see you. Uh, I'm glad that you're here worshiping with us. And today is a, one of those special services uh, that come across every time there's a fifth Sunday. We call it our, our family service, uh, our family worship service. This gives opportunities for families to uh, worship together, knowing that we care deeply about the next generation. And we uh, want to be a place where kids' ministry is a place where we can build into kids and to see them grow and develop. But we also understand that it's important at times uh, to worship together. And so we want to welcome our kids uh, to our service today. And our service will be a little bit different because we realize that uh, the scope of the people that are here, we have some some veterans, the um, those that have been around the church for a long time. And we have some really, really young ones. And so uh, our service is geared a little bit to try to hit in the middle. So we're going to have some elements that will be uh, more exciting for kids, um, but then also we'll be teaching uh, the depths of God's word. So if you're a kid, we want to welcome you and know that no one's looking at you. So um, just be, we're glad that you're here. And uh, next week you can go back to kids ministry. But I remember as a child growing up, uh, there were times in my church had kids ministry as well. But I remember the 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 beautiful benefit of watching my parents worship and he listened to my dad sing off key and listening to my mom sing in her beautiful voice uh, but there was just something powerful about sitting next to my parents uh, underneath the teaching of God's word that was so special to me and uh, so we want to continue to give kids that opportunity so welcome this morning uh, if you have a Bible this morning or electronic device I want to encourage you to take it out and turn with me to Matthew chapter 18 Matthew chapter 18 While you turn there, I want to read our passage this morning. We're going to be in Matthew 18, beginning in verse 1, and we're going to go verse 1 through verse 6. So if you don't have it available before you, we will have it up on the screen. Matthew 18. Scripture says, At that time, the disciples came to Jesus, saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And calling to him a child, he put him in the midst of them and said, Truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and to be drowned into the depth of the sea. Let's pray together. Father, this morning we come under the teaching of your word and we realize that your word is designed to give us life. Your word is designed to draw us closer to you so that we may see you more clearly and we may fall more deeply in love with you. And today, Father, as we look at this passage that is so 
counterintuitive, so countercultural. Father, I pray that you would ignite in us a deep desire to obey and to follow you. Father, for you are great. And the path that you ask us to follow is the same path that you walked. And so, Father, may we today receive your teaching and may we be changed because of it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So besides being a pastor, I have had the wonderful opportunity for the past several years uh, to be a high school cross-country coach. Um, It is a journey of love. That's why I've got the shirt on today. This was also part of my outfit for Trunk or Treat yesterday, so if you missed out. uh, I I had hair yesterday. It was wonderful. It's like the one day of year that I get a chance to have hair because I always put a wig on when we have have a Trunk or Treat. It's the the only time of the year you can wear a wig and it's okay. Um, Well, for me, anyway. Um, But yeah, I I truly enjoy being a, a coach uh, it's because you get a chance as a coach to encourage athletes to achieve great things, where you tell them to do hard things, and if you do hard things, then, then you'll get faster, you'll be better, you can accomplish more. And so it's a great place to, to encourage, it's a great place to challenge, and students, those student athletes that actually listen to what you say, find that they can run faster, that they can, um, they can do things that they thought were impossible. And, you know, along the way, there are some athletes that achieve greatness, right? There's very, very few, but sometimes you see those athletes that, that put in the work and there's just something about them where they have the ability to do more and greater than has ever been done before. And I want to remind you that, you know, we think about every person that's in the Hall of Fame or every person that's ever broken a world record or ever will break a world record. Behind every one of those great athletes is a coach. A coach that's pushing them to do more and to be better and to strive for greatness. And, you know, that's how it works in the world of athletics, right? That's that's how it works, right? You put in the work and then you you get to achieve. And, And if you achieve more and you put in more and the more work, the better you get. And the more work, the better that you get. Not everyone's going to achieve greatness, but everyone can get better, right? And so that's the kind of the paradigm that we have in the world, but how does it work? Does, what is the paradigm then when we come into the church as it relates to our Christian walk, as it relates to us growing and maturing in our faith? Well, today we're going to look at a passage where we're going to hear from the greatest coach of all time. We're going to hear from Jesus himself as he teaches, teaches us as his pupils as his students how greatness in the kingdom of God is achieved we know how greatness is achieved in the world in the world of academics or the world of athletics but today we're going to see how greatness is achieved in the kingdom of God last week we finished a series when we were taking a look at the kingdom of God we came took a look at how Jesus came to earth to establish his kingdom in the hearts of people We've been walking through seeing Jesus, how uh, Jesus has the power over death. Jesus has the power over nature. Jesus has the power over the depths. And Jesus is more powerful than all things. And he welcomes us to come to him, which is a great and amazing thing. So last series, we looked at the establishment of the kingdom. And now, as we walk into Matthew 18, what we're going to see in this series 
is how are we to live inside of this kingdom? What is it supposed to look like as we, the family of God, the children of God, living together in the gift called the church, how are we supposed to live and what's that supposed to look like? And we've entitled this series, Conflicted, realizing that in the world there's conflict and even in the church sometimes there's conflict and, and, and as we live inside the church, the way we're supposed to live is going to conflict with the way that the world lives. And so we're to live differently in the way we walk all of this out. And so over the next few weeks, we're going to be looking at Matthew 18 specifically because it's an important chapter for us because it's where we find Jesus' instructions to the disciples about the kind of community that should characterize those that have a relationship with God. So how is it that we're to relate to God and how is it that we're to relate to one another inside of the church? So here in this chapter, we see our Savior patiently teaching us what it looks like to be a part of spiritual family. And so the setting of this teaching, which we've already read, we see the disciples that have been following Jesus. And as they've been following Jesus, they see that inside of Jesus' kingdom, it seems as though it's following the paradigm of the world. Meaning that the purpose of life is to seek greatness. It seemed that was the trajectory of their life. Remember, these disciples were Many of them were filthy fishermen who had no standing, no clout. They had nothing in the world. And then they begin to follow Jesus. And then something amazing happens. Right? As Jesus is going about healing, we see Jesus is healing and he's teaching and he's saving and doing all these amazing things. The crowds begin to come. And it's it's as though Jesus is this um, superstar person that everyone wants to see, everyone wants to follow, everyone wants to get a piece of, and these disciples are a part of it. And so they're part of this massive crowd, and they've already been set apart from the crowd because they're Jesus' disciples. And then Jesus tells them, he says, now go, you go and practice some of these things. And so they go out into the communities, and they're teaching, and they're healing, and they're thinking to themselves, man, we got a, we got a part of something that's great. There's this movement that's happening, this Jesus movement that's happening, and we're a part of it. And so, of course, their minds begin to think about what is their placement in this kingdom. That now they go from the outside to having a seat at the table. And they were thinking to themselves, now we're moved because of our closeness to Jesus. We're in front of the line now. And even among themselves, they begin to wonder what is the hierarchy of disciples. So on this day, they come to Jesus with the question. And they say, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? They're not thinking necessarily about all the hordes of the people that are following Jesus. They're thinking among themselves, saying, Jesus, of us, of us 12, those that are closest to you, who is the greatest? When your kingdom is finally established, who's going to be sitting on your right, who's going to be sitting on your left, and who's going to be at the end of the table? See, they came to Jesus with the same mindset that we always have in the world. Right? There's, there's a part inside of us that I really believe that when we're born, there's a, a part of us that desires greatness. Right? We, we don't, as a child, you don't want mediocrity. Right? We don't want to walk around. You don't grow up as a child saying, you know what, when, at five years old, eight years old, ten years old, you know, don't grow up saying, hey, you know what, I just want to be normal. I, I just want to be average. I want to be mediocre. Right? No one says that. 
Right? We, we want to be great. We want to be a, a great father. We want to be a great mother. We want to be a great parent. We want to be a great worker. We, we want greatness. And it's on our hearts. And so the disciples come to Jesus on this day, and, and they're like, Jesus, how do we become great in the kingdom? What does it look like? So Jesus here is going to teach us as the greatest coach, he's going to answer the question, what does greatness look like in the community of Christ? We're going to see two truths in this passage. The first truth about greatness in the kingdom of God is this, is that we're called to pursue dependence instead of power. We're called to pursue dependence instead of power. Look at me again at verse 1. This is at that time the disciples came to Jesus, saying, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And calling him a child, he put him in the midst of them and said, Truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like a child, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And so Jesus' answer, as he always is, his answer is shocking. It's a surprise. It comes in a different perspective from the way in which the disciples had expected. So it's almost as like, hey, Jesus, who is the greatest? And Jesus is like, uh, wrong question. Right? Wrong question. The motives of your questions are wrong because you're coming from a different paradigm. My paradigm is not of the world, but the paradigm of my kingdom is different. And what Jesus here does is Jesus causes them to think about not their position in the kingdom, but whether or not they're actually in the kingdom. It's not a foregone conclusion that they're already in the kingdom. He gives them an if statement. You can only come into the kingdom of God if you become like a child. So he's not even assuming, because we know even one of the disciples never enters the kingdom of heaven. Judas turns and betrays Jesus and hands Jesus over. Right? Judas is not in heaven. And so we see here in this passage that Jesus is giving them, it's not a foregone conclusion that you're all in the kingdom of heaven just because you're a follower of mine. But he gives them this if statement. So they were concerned about how big and shiny their trophy was going to be compared to the next guy as they sat in the kingdom of God. And Jesus is like, uh, you better be careful not to think of where you sit but that you have a place, right? Because you may not have a place. Your position's not important, but having a place is. And that's what Jesus is getting at. And he goes on and in Matthew's gospel, he says, truly, this is a, a formula that Jesus uses over and over and over again. He's saying, pay attention, listen. And then he sets up this, this conditional statement, the if-then clause. If you don't become like a child, you will never experience the kingdom. He's saying that in order to be in the kingdom of heaven, we must become like a child, with childlike humility, with childlike trust, childhood, childlike vulnerability, childhood acceptance. It's, it's an acceptance of our own inability. It's an acceptance of our need. Where in the kingdom we pursue dependence instead of power. See, what Jesus is doing in this moment is also culturally shocking. 
For Jesus, who was a man's man, who was a worker of wood, hanging around with fishermen and tax collectors and all of these things, Jesus was a manly man. And in the midst of this moment, as he's in this hanging around with a rough crowd, Jesus does something profound. He uses the weakest of culture to teach a lesson. You see, in Jesus' day, children were not treated like they are in our day. You see, in our day, children are lifted high and they're elevated. In some ways, children are often worshipped, which is not good. But in Jesus' day, children were not revered. Children were not a part of everyday life in the same way that they are today. Children were an afterthought. They were someone that was unimportant to the busyness and the work of the adults. So kids were marginalized. And on this day, Jesus takes a child, a manly man. Jesus, a manly man, comes to a child and he brings him into the midst of all of his disciples around. And he says, this is a picture of the kingdom of God. Unless you act, unless you become like a child... You have no place in the kingdom of God. Become like a child. Now, Jesus here is not saying that we're to become like a child in every way. right? We're not to walk around with, with food still on our shirts and it's smashed clothes. Like, we're not to become a child in, like a child in every way, because that would be kind of messy, right? Like, I don't have to do my hair. I don't have to take a bath. I, don't, I can play around the mud and walk. Like, he's not saying that, okay? Because we're adults, right? Don't be like a child in every way. But we're to be like a child in the expression of our need. Did you catch that? That's what he's talking about. That we're to be like a child in the expression of our need. Think about a child. Right, As a child, we, or as a parent, when you hear the helpless cries of your child, what do you do? You go running to them, right? You, you want to hear them. You want them to be in need, and they know that they're in need. right? Kids come out of the womb like completely helpless. And Jesus is saying, be like that child. Be completely helpless, and know that I will provide everything for you. You have needs. Let me know about them. This is totally different than the world. Right? The world judges us based on how we perform, based on what we do and how we contribute. If you, continue, if you contribute much, then you get elevated. But Jesus is saying, you contribute nothing. I don't want you to contribute anything. I want you to bring your need to me and let me fulfill it. Let me do it. So at the end of the day, who's doing it? Him and not me. So in the kingdom of God, we need to be needy as children. I know how in my house, when my girls call, they're like, hey, dad. That's them expressing a need. Right? Always. It's that phrase. Hey, dad. And when they say, hey, dad, that perks my ears up and I know that I need to position myself to come and help them because it's my desire. They've come to a place where they're incapable or they need help. And who do they call? They call on their father. 
Right? There's this trend going around social media where um, moms uh, are taping themselves in their d- daily lives when they hear their, their child say, hey mom, what they'll do is a squat or they'll do like a, a burpee or something like that. And they're taping themselves, seeing themselves do it like hundreds of times every single day. And I think it's a great picture because it reminds us our kids are screaming out because they're in need, right? And and parents are there to help. And it's a great, this is also a great picture of prayer, right, when you think about it, right? In our needs, when we have needs, who are we calling on? Who do you call when you have needs? Some of us are like, I'm not calling anybody because I I can't be vulnerable enough in the world to say that I have need. Because in our world, to have a need is to be weak. That's exact opposite than the way it is in the kingdom of heaven. Jesus wants you to be weak. Jesus wants you to have need. He wants us to be able to come to him in our need. Because that's where we see him have the ability to work. See, this disposition is completely different than the way that we're taught in our culture growing up. Right, you and I are taught that life is about climbing a ladder, right? The ladder to success, right? The, the ladder to greatness. So we're taught that you've got to do the work. You've got to be better. You've got to work harder. And as you climb up to the top of the ladder, what's happening is that you're distinguishing yourself from other people. You're actually distancing yourself from everyone else because you're trying to show that you are greater. So when you climb this ladder, what happens is you begin to take on different sin, the sin of comparison, right? You're like, well, at least I'm not that person. I'm better than that person. And so then you look at other people that are higher up the ladder than you and you're like, oh, I don't like them. And you look at the people that are below you on the ladder and you're like, well, at least I'm not them. And so we keep climbing this ladder and we keep climbing this ladder trying to be more and make more of ourselves so that the world looks to us and they say, man, look at that person. That person's great. But then you meet Jesus and you come to a passage like this where Jesus says, unless you become like a child, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. Then you go to a passage like Philippians chapter two and you are wrecked by this verse. Let me read it to you. Paul's writing, he says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each one of you look not to his own interest, but also to the interest of others, having this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You come to a passage like that And you begin to struggle because that is incompatible with this. And this is where the struggle lies for the believer. Because without knowing Christ, that's all you know. But when you come to know Christ, you learn of another ladder. Now, if I start to fall, someone's going to catch me, okay? 
So you're up this ladder and you're living your life and then you come to consider Christ. And Christ is like, hey, guess what? You're on the wrong ladder. You're, you're, the way, the trajectory of your life is not leading you back to the kingdom of God. It's leading you away from the kingdom of God. And God says, come to me like a child. And so you're like, okay, I see. I see that I'm supposed to be on a different ladder, a ladder that doesn't go up, but a ladder that goes down in humility, where I'm not elevating myself. Instead, I'm humiliating myself so that he becomes greater than I, because that's the whole point of all of this. And the believers, many believers, live in their lives in this position. Are you following me? Where you're like, I've got to live in both of these. I've got to hold on to this because this is all I've known my whole life. And then Jesus comes into your life. He says, no, 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 that's not it. Make yourself more humble. Make yourself like a child. Identify that you are a needy person. And so the believer's like, okay, well, I can, okay, all right, yep, I'm going to do that. And you know what? You can never really do it until you completely let go. You've got to let go and you've got to just become humble and more humble and more humble and more humble and more humble. And guess what happens? He becomes greater. And he becomes greater. And he becomes greater. And he becomes greater because in your need, he shows up every single time and takes care of all of your needs. That's what he promises. So in our lives, we become great, not because of power, we become great in our humility. That's true greatness. Now I'm going to move this out of the way so I can see this side of the, the audience. Thankful I didn't fall. <laughs> that would have been embarrassing. So Jesus tells us to pursue dependence instead of power. Right? Be dependent. How are you doing at that? How, how are you doing in your Christian walk like being like a child? Right? Do you, do you go to God and you're like, God, I got this. I, I got nothing for you. I don't need you. I'm going to walk out my Christian life and I'm going to continue to do it the way that I've always done it. I need you for salvation because that's where we, we come at the moment of salvation in our deepest need. Right, we come to Jesus and we say, Jesus, I understand that I'm a sinner. I understand that I need you for salvation. And in that moment, we, take, we are vulnerable because we say, I can't save myself. I need you, Jesus, to save me from my sins. And Jesus, the Bible tells us that he who knew no sin became sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus becomes sin. Jesus takes our place. And he gives us forgiveness because of his sacrifice. And so at the moment of salvation, we come in our need, in our humility, and we say, Jesus, I got nothing, but I trust you. But then many believers, from that moment, they're like, okay, I needed you for salvation, I don't need you for anything else. Right, and they continue to walk on, and they're like, okay, I'm gonna go to the Bible, I'm gonna read all the things that I'm supposed to do. And so the Bible then becomes this list of religious rules that you have to keep, not, not the way of life, but the bunch of these religious rules that we place on our back and we're like, oh, the Christian walk is so terrible. It's so hard. It's so oppressive. It's because you're doing it wrong. It's because you're doing it wrong. The Christian walk, the Christian life, the life that Jesus is talking about here is a life that says, I can't. I can't do, I can't do the things that you tell me to do in here. I can't obey it. 
I want to obey, but I can't in my own strength and power because I, I don't have the ability. So Jesus, I need you to do it in me. Jesus, I'm a prideful person. I need you to take away my pride. Jesus, I'm a fearful person. I need you to take away my fear. Jesus, I'm such a needy person. And guess what Jesus does? He comes in, in our needs, and he provides for us. He does it over and over and over and over again. And that's the disposition of a follower. You want to be great? Be needy. Just make a bumper sticker of that. Right? You want to be great? Be needy. Identify your need. We all know we're needy people. We all know that there are things about us that we lack in, that we have limits, and we want to hide from the rest of the world. We don't want anyone to know that we're vulnerable. We don't want anyone to know that we're not okay, and so we hide it all. We mask it all to the rest of the world, but Jesus is not. That's not how you're supposed to live. Live as a child. Once we come to faith, we continue to walk in the neediness because God is not accepting you because of what you do. God accepts you because of who you are. Right? That's different than the world too. The majority of people in your life will only accept you because of what you do. Jesus never does that. Jesus never accepts you because of what you do. Jesus accepts you because of who you are. And when you become a child of God, that's it. You aren't losing that, not changing that. You are a child of God. So what does greatness look like? It begins by pursuing dependence instead of power. And the second truth is that we are to practice loving care instead of introducing temptation. Practice loving care instead of introducing temptation. Look at verse 5 in Matthew 18. Jesus says, whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. So first, let's identify who these little ones are because Jesus gives this very, very scary teaching. Like this, this is a very, very scary teaching. This is like a, a massive warning to those that have received the grace of God, not based on what they do, but based on whom they believe, right? As a receiver of this great gifts, this is the teaching to those who now are children of God. And he says, be careful about the little ones. Now that could be referring to all Christians of all time, right? Because we all, when we come to Christ, are children of God. But I think Jesus is more clearly classifying a, a group within the children that are the little children. And what I think Jesus is referring here is to those that are Christians that are often the most marginalized. Right? Or those, those that we might be tempted to marginalize due to their lack of wealth, maybe because of their lack of health, their lack of giftedness, their lack of spiritual maturity. They have, in essence, little standing or little resources or maybe little faith. And so even in the community of God, Jesus is saying, be careful not to compare yourselves to one another, not to live in this life of competition, especially inside the kingdom of God, because we're all children. But he says, be very careful how you treat and you care for the little children. Be wise with this. Jesus is saying, as a needy receiver, you receive Jesus 
Now you should be a receiver of others. Right? He says, whoever receives one such child, one of these little children, if you've done that, then you've received me. We should be looking to meet the nose, those that are in need around us, not just receiving those that can do something for us. Because that's how it works in the world. Right? You, you, in the world, you meet people and you, you, um, you rub shoulders with other people and immediately you, you meet them. You're not thinking like, how can, how can I benefit you necessarily? You're, you're thinking about how can that person benefit you? Right? In business propositions, you want to meet people that can help you move up the corporate ladder or you want to meet people that can help you uh, advance your financial position. That's how we do it in the world, but Jesus is not. It's, it's opposite even in the kingdom of heaven. As receivers of God's grace, we need to be receivers of others into God's grace, especially those that can do nothing for us. Then Jesus gives this great warning. He says, as a receiver, woe to you if you cause one of these little ones to sin. He says, it would be better for you. It would be better. Now think about, you're gonna hear a horrible imagery here. But he's saying it would be better for you to do this than to cause one of the little children to sin. He says it would be better for you to take a big millstone. I don't know if you know much about farming and agriculture and grain and all that. But back in Jesus' day, there were two stones that were responsible for milling. First, there was a stone that we laid flat in a circle. And then there would be the stone that we raised vertical. And as a, an oxen or whatever would go around the circle, that big stone would, would roll and the other, ro- sto- the other stone would roll on top, on top of the other stone. And it would, it would uh, break down the grain and the wheat and all of that. And so these stones were like thousands and thousands of pounds. And Jesus is saying, it would be better for you to take one of these massive stones and fasten it around your neck and throw yourselves into the depth of the sea. That's a terrible picture. It's like, that's, that's horrible. Like, who would want to die that way? Like, you're drowning and there's nothing you can do about it to save yourself. He says, that, that's better. You should desire that then to cause one of the little, chin, little children to sin. Why? Because when we become receivers of the grace of God, we become a part of the image of Jesus to other people. People look to us and they say, wow, that person's been walking with Jesus for a little while and we display to them the characteristics of Jesus and then they look at ourselves and they're like, that's Jesus? If that's Jesus, I don't want to have any part of Jesus. If your life is not radiating the glory of Jesus Christ and shining the light of Jesus to others, then you may be turning others away from Jesus. Are you following me? And Jesus is saying it's way better for you to go kill yourself in this terrible way than to cause one of those little kids to sin. Okay, you're like, okay, pastor, I need you to work that out for me a little bit more because that's some terrifying teaching. It is. Let me give you an example that I came across this week. I I read this on Facebook. It says a man went to church on a Sunday morning and on when he went to church on that Sunday morning, he came into the church and forgot to switch off his phone. So in the middle of the worship service, his phone goes off and everyone immediately gasped. 
and they look at him with their judgmental glares and and even after the service the meets the pastor in the hallway and the pastor's like hey man you should have silenced your phone like don't you know how important don't you understand the importance of the work that's happening right now you were a massive distraction to the whole crowd and then in, as he walks out to his car all the people looking at him that's the guy with the cell phone that's the guy he was disrupting worship today that's the guy he gets into his car and he sits down and his wife's given in the business the whole way home. You should have silenced your cell phone. Right? You know how bad that made us look? You, you know how bad you made me look? So the whole way home, he's like, oh, I can't even go to church. Can't even, I can't even go to church. And so he decided in that moment on the way home, he would never go to church ever again. Later on that night, he decides he's going to go to a bar sits down at the bar and he's still kind of shaken from the day, still kind of worried about, you know, man, they really judged me there. Man, I really, I really blew it. And so he grabs his drink and it starts to shake a little bit and he accidentally spills his drink. And he's thinking to himself, man, I can't, I can't even do anything right. He buries his head in his hands and immediately the waitress comes over and she's like, sir, I'm so sorry that you spilled your drink. And she begins to clean it up. Oh, you spilled some on your pants. Here's a couple napkins for that. And then immediately a janitor comes over and he begins to mop up the floor. And then the manager of the bar sees what's happening and comes on over and says, sir, man, I am so sorry. And he's like, I spilled the drink. And she's like, who hasn't done that before? So she gives him a hug and she gives him another drink. And in that moment, that man determines that he'll never leave that bar again. Let that sit on you for a moment. Let it resonate. That's causing the little kids to sin. By our attitudes, our actions, and how we treat other people. This place can be the most condemning place ever. You know how hard it is for someone that doesn't know Jesus to come in here at times? I hear it over and over. If I ever go into a church, that place is going to burn to the ground because of what I've done. I'm like, no, no, we, we'll love you. No, you won't. The second I come into that place, I'll be judged. If someone will say, I wish they were wearing different clothes. My, my skirt's too short. My hair's too wild. My tattoos are too big. My eyes are bloodshot. We, we can be the biggest hindrance from people coming to know Jesus because they're judgmentalists. Because we are thinking life is on the freaking ladder and it's the wrong ladder. It's the wrong run completely. We're to humble ourselves and we're to be receivers of everyone. Everyone should be welcomed in this place. Man, you had a bad day? I'm so sorry. I've, I've had a bad day too. You know, it's, I've said this before, but like when you see a little child trying to learn how to walk, you don't scold them when they fall down. You're like, good job, buddy. Let's keep it up. Put you back up. Let me help you. Put them against the wall again. You say, come on. My mom would always say, loney, loney. Meaning take a lone step. But that was just her southern way. She's like, she's like Jeffrey, loney, loney. And as I started to take those wobbling steps, she'd, she'd have her hands right there for me. So that when, if I fell, she would be there not to correct me, but to pick me back up again. That's what Jesus is talking about here. He's talking out that we practice loving care instead of introducing temptation. 
our lives are to be um, pointing people to Jesus, not becoming, making Jesus more of a hurdle to them. See, in Jesus' kingdom, greatness is defined by humility. That's, you want to be great? Humble yourself. Don't think too highly of yourself. Realize that your identity in Christ is secure, but he wants to work out that identity. You don't want to work for the identity. He wants you to work out of that identity. Jesus meets us in our needs and uses us to meet the needs of others. So I got three Three points, just of application as we come to a close. First of all, stay needy before the Lord. Stay needy. Always be needy before the Lord. When you, if you think you've got it all figured out, if you think that you've arrived, then pride has stepped in. Stay needy before the Lord. If you're here today and you finally understand that you're needy before the Lord and you want to come to him for salvation, you want to come to him for life transformation, the Bible says all we simply need to do is to come before him and confess our sins. And he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Come before the Lord in humbleness and allow Jesus to save you. Second, look to help others. Look to help others by, and, and avoid causing them to sin. Life in the church is messy. You're a messy slob. I'm a messy slob. They're trying to just follow Jesus. And guess what happens as we get, you get to know my messy slob and, and I get to know yours. Guess what's going to happen? It's going to get messy. It's not clean. Life in the family of God is not a surgical room. It's a hospital for people that have been wounded. It's a place where we come and we can be known. And it's a place where we can come, where we can spur one another on towards love and good deeds. And it gets messy. So look to help others. Thirdly, I want you to consider how God might position you to receive the little ones. Who are the little ones in your life that God is calling you to receive? Who are those that are marginalized inside of the church? That's specifically what he's talking about. He's not talking about the community as a whole. We know there's a lot of people that are marginalized. He's talking about specifically inside the kingdom of God. There are people inside the kingdom of God that right now today are marginalized. Who are those little ones? Maybe God wants to call you into serving by teaching or caring for our children or our students. You realize we have an amazing ministry, an amazing opportunity to disciple the next generation through the kids that are coming. Our kids' ministry is booming. Thank you for those that are helping make that happen. Appreciate that. We want to be a place, we want to be a place, parents, where we come alongside you, realizing that it's your primary responsibility to disciple your kids. We want to be that help. We want to be a place where a resource for you. We want to be a place for you fathers so you learn how, what it means to lead your families and what it looks like to spiritually care for them. And moms, we want to be a place where you can be encouraged in your walk as we know you're caring well for your families and trying to have what's best for them. And so our, our church here wants to come alongside that. So if you don't have a place to serve, you should be serving the little ones. Whatever that looks like, whether it's little kids themselves 
or it's those that are marginalized. Some of you have taken on the opportunity to get involved in our uh, cafe ministry, in that hospitality ministry. That's a great place because every single week you get to see the little ones come and get coffee. You can be that encouragement. Those that are greeters, you get to be the front line of where you get to see the little ones. Those that are coming, they're just wanting to know that they're going to be okay. Right? We have this great gift. And Jesus says, don't cause them to stumble. Don't cause them to sin. But instead, be receivers of the little ones. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you this morning for this challenging message. Father, I know there's so much in our lives that tells us that we, to voice our need, is something that we should never do. Oh, we all, we all want to help people, but none of us want to be the one that's helped. And Father, I pray today that you would stir within us this reminder and this disposition of humility. Yeah, we know, God, still, you call some of us to do great and amazing things in, by the worldly standards, but you don't call us to get there through the worldly standards. The road to greatness in the kingdom of heaven comes by dying to ourselves. And so, Father, I pray today that as we sing this song, if there's... If we need to repent of sin, I pray that we would do that. But maybe today just once again gain that posture of humility where we come before you with our hands open wide and say, Heavenly Father, I have need. I have physical need. I have relational need. I have spiritual need. May we just claim the fact that we need and then give it to him and give God space to be able to come in and meet us in the place of our deepest needs. For Father, we desire to be humble. We desire to see your kingdom come. And may this be your church, the place for the little ones to come and be received. Now as we sing, Father, may these words be a reflection of our heart. In Jesus' name we pray. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself today.